Yep. Yeah. So, um, any questions, um, comments as well? Well, I, I want to thank Carlo to show us this. This is a very dramatic representation of what we talk about. The uh, basically, it's the uh, short wave. Uh, But also you see the medium wave because the level of the curve is rising. So on the short wave fluctuation, which is the yield curve changing from normal to flat to inverted, interposed a medium wave, which you can see in the rising level of curve, because it repeats. Remember, Carlo showed us how the short wave works, changing from, from normal to flat to inverted, but that repeats, okay? However, it repeats at a higher level, so that's the medium wave, when you uh, push the level of interest rates higher, and then of course higher and higher. So this is the medium wave. After the lunch break, we are going to talk about the long wave, which is uh, usually associated with the name of Kondratyev. And this is long because it is really long. It could be 60 years or, <clears throat> or even longer. And, uh, and uh, that has uh, phases which sometimes called spring, Kondratyev spring, Kondratyev summer, Kondratyev fall, Kondratyev winter. I'm not using that phrase, the, the, these names for the phases myself, but it could be helpful. And uh, if you want to use it, that's fine. I'm just not, <coughs> I didn't book time. <laughs> That would be sufficient to go through this. And my approach is not exactly the same as Kondratyev, but this will be discussed this afternoon. Uh, so I, I wasn't aware myself of, I, I, I've known stock charts, of course, but I didn't know that they were, what's the name of this uh, particular window of the, Website. Dynamic yield curve. Mm. With stockcharts.com slash free charts slash dot html. 
So dot free forward slash free charts. Free charts slash. stockcharts.com forward slash free charts forward slash yield curve dot html which is amazing because it's up to date <coughs> it, up to the minute I should say mm. uh, position so you could actually when you're in the middle the eye of the storm then you can follow it day after day what's happening to the yield curve and you can see how what damage the tornado is doing around it's very interesting questions please any questions, comments? Um, I've got a comment. Um, would you say, Professor, that what you've just said here, borrowing short to lend long, specifically in the banking sector, is actually a symptom of a much wider problem, in the sense that if, if, if a government is borrowing money um, without um, without a self-amortizing productive goal, then it is effectively another form of borrowing short to lend long because he will be relying on the fact that he can roll the bond when it comes to yes. maturity. Yes, I would. And uh, I think well, the, the uh, government economist uh, think it's a justification, another justification for the uh, irredeemable currency system that the, there is always possibility to borrow short. In other words, these inversion of yield curve can be thinned out and ultimately eliminated. But Keynes, Keynes was pretty explicit on that. And uh, see, no commentators points it out that all these predictions, one after the other, which turned sour because they didn't happen. One prediction was that it was the gold standard which caused these fluctuations because the gold standard is a niggardly provided of provider of money and we need more credit, more money in the economy to eliminate these fluctuations. 
and the other was that there will be never, under Keynes said, and even Friedman, uh, although they were in many ways opposite, Friedman was critical of Keynes, but this is again a false call. It didn't turn out that way. That there will always be plenty of liquidity around, plenty of funds, short and long, if we stick with the irredeemable uh, system of currencies. You see, that knocks the foundation right out of Keynesianism, monetarism, and all that. It's just invalid. Also, the criticism about the gold standard, that the gold standard is niggardly, or, or I don't know what other words they use, it's uh, contractionist. What do they mean by contra saying that the gold standard is contractionist? It means that rather than helping the economy to grow at a healthy rate, it just pushes the economy into one depression into another because the gold standard is not providing the liquidity necessary. You need a government agency, a central bank, to keep the system liquid. If you don't have that, then that's the cause of the uh, deflation of depressions, you see. Well, after 60 uh, so many years of Keynesianism and after 30 years of monetarism, I mean, the wildest dreams of Keynesians, the wildest dreams of monetarists have been uh, fulfilled. And, well, we have a worse problem than we ever had under the gold standard. In fact, under the gold standard, if you have the impression that uh, it's, uh, there's not enough liquidity from the additional output of the gold mines, if you ever had that impression, this was again caused by the distortion introduced by the government and the banks. So the gold standard is a well-balanced system. We don't have time to, uh, to elaborate on this more. But the, the whole criticism of the gold standard on the part of the Keynesians and monetarists is just false. So, uh, I think we are going through times which show the whole theoretical structure of the Keynesians and the monetaries collapse one after the other. The main tenets of the Keynesians
Any um, any comments? At last. Hmm? At last it is collapsing. <laughs> um, I think I, I, I've got a question, Professor, that refers back to yesterday's lecture. And uh, I was reading about the, um, the Assignats in France. And if you look at their, the, well, at least in the sort of the first half of the debacle, they didn't issue a, a hundred times uh, as much as they had in land behind uh, the note issue. They only issued, let's say, let's say that the land was worth three three billion um, uh, francs. They, they, uh, Louis. Louis, Louis doors or Louis or whatever they were. They only issued, let's say. 6,000 uh, or 6 billion Louis worth of um, notes. So what was it that caused the, the collapse of the system if it wasn't, let's say, an aggressive overissue of the note? There must have been some other factor that caused people to lose confidence <coughs> in it. Because their argument is always that we never issued an excess of notes. Mm. So um, for it to lose its value per se, there must have been another a factor there behind yes. the asset of this note issue. Yes, there was. But you are suggesting that, uh, relatively speaking, the mm. French Revolution was modest in mm. its issuing fiat money. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they didn't even consider it fiat because they said, well, it's, it's backed by land. We took the land, we nationalized the land holdings of the church, and, and they were huge, so this, and they were very valuable. The highest quality land in the country belonged to the church, and now it's being used, mobilized, to back the currency issue. All right. Uh, Manger has a snap answer to that. The trouble is not over-issuing. The trouble is that, that land, real estate, does not have the necessary liquidity. So if you, fit in, if you make a list of all the assets, okay, all the assets, uh, and rank the assets by liquidity. Now you have to define liquidity, and of course Manger defines liquidity in terms of the variable spread. So if it's real estate, then the spread uh, is, uh, let's say, the amount of real estate offered for sale and the bid and the ask price and the difference between the ask and the bid price. And that's the same, the definition would be the same in the bond market, in commodity markets and other markets, okay? So now we have listed all the assets in the horizontal line 
and rank them according to the liquidity. The top liquidity belongs to gold. Gold. Uh, okay, so that's gold and maybe silver. Let's not go into the uh, question whether gold or silver is more liquid because we know the real answer comes when you split the course, the concept of liquidity to liquidity in the large, liquidity in the small, etc. So, okay, the next highest liquidity class of assets uh, are the real bills, because they are maturing into gold. Okay, nothing closer to gold than real bills, which in 90 days will mature into gold with a very high uh, probability that there will be no problems because there's just a continuous flow of, say, wheat to the consumer goes through the phases of uh, milling it into flour and <coughs> baking the flour into bread and distributing the bread and right there it's the consumer and there's a foregone conclusion that there'll be no glock of bread because the bakers know better not to bake more bread than they know uh, that it will satisfy the, the uh, existing demand. So you look at this list of assets ranked by by uh, uh, ranked by liquidity as defined by Menger, and then ask the question: Where is real estate in that list? Well, <laughs> you, you can study this, and a lot of people have studied this. And uh, contrary to what the <coughs> monetary scientists of the French Revolution were saying, real estate is pretty well on the other extreme. Because even bonds and stocks and a lot of other assets <coughs> precede real estate. Real estate is one of the least liquid assets. And, and that's in a way natural because there is this long process of verifying title. You see, before, I mean, buying real estate is a pretty tricky thing. Uh, you, you have to study it before you actually put your money down. Because you have to uh, establish title. You are not buying a bogus real estate. Somebody 
says that it's mine, but actually it's not his. He just pretends and it might belong to somebody who has moved away and uh, the relatives don't have his address or something. So, uh, you know, you have to verify title. And then you have to study the location and a lot of other things. So it's it's a very different market from uh, selling other assets. But just by the nature of things, I think the real estate is not a real estate market is not a liquid market. And, uh, uh, you know, when you put a piece of land uh, on the market, you always deal with a handful of uh, interested buyers. And this is quite different from the stock market, for instance, where always lots of buyers and lots of sellers. By the way, the uh, markets like uh, stock market, bond market, uh, commodity markets, these markets are well oiled by the presence of speculators uh, who uh, step in if there is uh, temporary liquidity problems the uh, speculators get active <coughs> and <coughs> will liquefy the market to some extent. Now, I'm not saying that there are no uh, such animals as real estate speculators, of course there are, but their horizon is very different from a stock market speculator or a commodity market speculator. So you see, the trouble with the Ossignats was not, as you say, the over-issue, because it was very modest by today's standard, the amount of money they created and pretended that it's backed by. The problem was that they uh, declared a, uh, an asset liquid when it was not liquid. That was the basic problem. And uh, the uh, and they did this without much thought. <coughs> if they had thought it all over, they would have come to the conclusion that it's uh, the, the people will not believe, perhaps the majority first will, but very soon they question. Well, there was the glaring uh, problem of uh, redeemability. That's very nice to say that these beautiful lands which used to belong to the church now are backing the currency. So you had a pile of currency and say, okay, 
give me my land. I'm supposed to have land to the extent of my holdings of, of uh, uh, Asinyats. Well, I, I'm not an expert on the Asinyats, so I don't know if they were planning a redemption system and it failed, or they uh, thought that people are just so foolish that they will take it as, as if it was redeemable. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not sure about that either. So, uh, that's the difficulty yeah. with the Asinians. Yeah. No? And, uh, you know, I'm not a quantity theory man. I, when a currency collapses like the Asinians, I have lots of questions to ask, but uh, the quantity is never going to be the first question. And uh, in the German inflation of 1922-23, uh, I don't think the quantity uh, was the cause of the final collapse. Um, and the proof of that is that uh, uh, very often, the shortage of paper money was more prominent than the abundance. Now, if, if the Reichmark failed, uh, they say it failed because of over-issue. But uh, uh, people uh, in those days complained far more about the shortage of money. You see, <laughs> <laughs> the fact was that money was losing value faster than the government could print more with a larger number of zeros after one. You know, they first issued a thousand marks and then ten thousand and so on. Uh, but ultimately, they lost value so fast that. I think even some of the latest issues didn't even have the back printed. Mm. It was just plain white because they didn't have time to <laughs> do a complete job. They, it, you know, no sooner the paper money was issued, it was snapped up and spent, <coughs> lost value, and now you wanted more. But you could have more only if you put another zero or another couple of zeros after the one. And uh, so uh, I, I think the quantity theory of money is a very, very inadequate uh, theory. And it's even, I, I wouldn't even call it a theory. It at best is a, a model. It's a model and it's linear and that's the trouble because the whole process of losing money, losing value is not a linear process. Any more uh, questions or comments? A very short comment. Thank you for this clarification because I read a quote from Karl Menger which is obviously older than 100 years or something like that where he says Governments always wanted to make government bonds the most liquid asset class and it suits very well because 
obviously they want to make it uh, money. Mm. So this is also quite um, yeah. consistent with this what you That's true. And I was I was really um, amazed by this co uh, quotation made 100 years ago because one actually has this debate I think going on now still why this time bonds appear such a good uh, method of backing the currencies. One of the arguments is because it's the most liquid asset class, which it, I think empirically is not quite easy, is it? Do you know? Well, I think if you look at the spreads on bond futures, they're very, it's all artificial though. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think if it, if it were left to the market, it would have much. Much I mean, if you look at the Bank of England, prior to the Bank of England's establishment, the government used to have to auction off the tallies, and um, which was the, the government's claim to tax revenue. And um, they were busy auctioning them off, but they found that they couldn't auction them off after a while unless it was for about a 60% discount to, uh, to the... So, you know, that, that shows how marketable a government bond is. A government bond <coughs> is a claim to tax revenue. So even the supreme power of being able to tax doesn't mean you can make it marketable. Then the Bank of England put it in their uh, asset ledger and uh, the discount suddenly went 60, 50, 40 and then it went to an agio. So <laughs> that shows the... Uh, the power of illusion. So, any more questions, comments? I think we'll break up for lunch and uh, back, back at 2.30. Thanks very much.